Hello, everybody, and welcome to Our Story Isn't Over. Um, we are doing a podcast a day for Children's Mental Health Awareness Week this week. Um, and we're also excited to have this on going on during uh, Mental Health Awareness Month, in, which is May. So we're going to get started. Um, my name is Tristan Schnoke. I'm the Community Outreach Coordinator for Youth Move PA, and I'm, I'm going to have my coworker and our guest introduce themselves. Hi, my name is Chris Lunsford. I'm the Call for Change and Youth Care Coordinator at PMHCA. And Hi. Maya. Sorry, yeah. Hi, my name is Maya. I'm just a mom who's really interested in mental health and especially when it uh, concerns kids. Thank you so much. And I've been told this before, you're not just a mom. You are <laughs> a mom, which is awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. Sure thing. Um, so Maya, what brought you to the podcast today? What, um, just tell us a little more about yourself and why you're interested in talking with us today. Yeah, so that's a really big question. Um, I get really excited when people want to talk about mental health because so many people do not. And I feel like that is the root of everything that we are and everything that we do. Um, and as adults, how that affects our kids. And that's just a cycle. Um, so if we're not okay, they're not okay and vice versa. Um, and the fact that there just doesn't seem to be enough resources um, or support is a big concern. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think that's such a good point. And I'm wondering like what, um, if you want to give us like a little bit of personal history or anything like that to sort of give us like a little more information about you as a person? Okay. Um, so yes, I have struggled with mental health um, concerns since I was really young. Um, I, I don't refer to it as a mental health illness. I, I call it concerns. Um, and back in my day, um, we didn't really talk too much about it at all. And if we did, um, I think we only had one or two words that we used and it was depression and or anxiety. Um, and those things were not seen as big deals. Depression was if you're sad and anxiety was if you were worried and it was as simple as that. Um, as I got older, I learned how deep that goes and, and how many levels there are to depression and how many levels there are to anxiety and all kinds of other mental health concerns that exist. Um, trying to find um, an organization that will address those concerns in the right way, um, since there are so many modalities, that was, that was um, an interesting trip to go on. Um, it depends on your insurance, it depends on the wait list, it depends on your location, it depends on your age. It, you know, there's so many factors, um, so it makes it really difficult to get help. Um, so after a while, I kind of just kind of gave up on the whole idea and I thought I'll deal with it myself. And then I became a mom. So then it started a whole new round of questions and, and um, concerns. Yeah, I feel um, like when parents, like you'd start getting into parenthood and it really adds a new layer because now you're not just looking at your mental health, but your child's mental health and then how yours and theirs start to intertwine, right? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Um, so it was still unfamiliar. It was still, you know, like I said, I never really got a good grip on what it was all about. And I just pretended that it wasn't a problem for me. I thought maybe it's just me and I'm special. And again, it still wasn't really, really being discussed. Um, I won't tell you how old I am, but I'm old enough <laughs> to where it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a popular conversation. And um, so when I had my daughter, still similar feelings, like it's, it's, you know, something that we don't discuss. So when I saw some things that were off, or what I thought might be off. Um, you know, I mentioned it a few times to a few people, um, professionals and, and personal people. And we, you know, we all swept that under the rug. So um, now I can give you her age and uh, uh, that'll give you an idea of how long it's taken to really get no further ahead, to be honest with you. So she's 18 now and we're still barely scratching the surface. So that's where I am. So, you know, I just, just to kind of get some context here, like, it seems like the resources are kind of scarce uh, in your, like, world. So is, is this like, you're in a rural area? Is it urban? Like, what, 
what is around you? Um, just to kind of give us and our listeners an idea of kind of what, what situation we're looking at here. Yeah, so um, I'm originally from New York City and um, I don't know that that's relevant at all, but again, at the time it just wasn't discussed. So I don't know that it mattered where I lived exactly. Um, I did live in one of the five boroughs, um, but my daughter was born in, in Delaware County, Pennsylvania. And um, so as she got older, I just felt, well, I learned much later, I actually just recently that Delaware County didn't even have a health department, which I thought was mm. ironic. <laughs> so even though there were resources available, lists and lists of resources, we still, um, I think we're pretending that uh, mental health didn't exist and not having a health department, which would oversee, I assume would oversee everything, health, including mental health, not having that for a big county like Delaware County didn't make a lot of sense. So I don't know that we've been able to pinpoint um, why that is, if it has anything to do with the county we live in or the neighborhood we live in. Um, I have no idea what exactly the, yeah, um, the root is. That's very interesting. Um, and so I just want to preface a little bit of this with, first of all, I'm really glad that you're here and I'm really glad that you're willing to be open and share some stuff with us about yourself and about your experiences. I just want to say that, um, Chris, I'm going to speak for you for a second. Um, Chris and I both experience mental health struggles also, um, and we have throughout childhood and into adulthood. So we totally like can relate in some ways. Um, I live in Schuylkill County, which is fairly rural and some mental health, mental health help that's actually appropriate has never really been their strong suit here. So I can relate to that a little bit. Um, Maya, I really appreciate you sharing. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I appreciate it as well, especially considering what you said about how it wasn't, you know, you didn't really come from a world where this stuff was talked about a lot. So, you know, I, I get the sense from what you shared with us that this was, a it was progress. It took a lot of progress to get to the point where, you know, you could be here on a podcast now talking about all this. Um, and, and the reason I was asking about, you know, like the location and everything is because I know that, uh, like I'm fairly new to Pennsylvania. Like I moved here about three years ago. And, um, so one of the things that I learned real quick was that, everything out here is so county-based like we're all in the same state but there's every different county has its own set of rules uh, especially when it comes to health care mental health care um, so it's interesting you talk about being in delaware county and um, not having a lot of resources and and that's always kind of wild to think about because in that same area you've got montgomery county and they're like famous for having really great mental health resources and they're really not that far away from each other. Yes. So I'm wondering Maya, if you'd be able to give us a little insight about um, like, what did you see in your child that you said you had a daughter, correct? Yes, that's right. So what did you see in your daughter um, like that showed she really needed mental health care the most like what really gave you that clue so it was hard to um i guess just it was hard to describe it still is hard to describe i've, I've diagnosed her myself because she's still not officially diagnosed um and i know that she's got a ton more um in the recent years but from very young um she had what i now call oppositional defiant disorder or odd I don't know that they used that language back then or not. <laughs> um, and if they did, again, we didn't talk about it. It wasn't common. It just wasn't a thing. So, you know, we sweep it under the rug and we say, oh, you know how kids are. Oh, you know how little girls are. Oh, you know, you know. And so we sweep it under the rug in so many different ways. Um, and mom could be exaggerating. Mom could be frustrated. Mom could be, you know, overwhelmed with momming. <laughs> and so <laughs> may exaggerate the behaviors of the child or may, um, dramatize or uh, uh, just, you know, oversell what, you know, what she's experiencing. So as she got older, I saw it, you know, for, for me, you know, I was with her, I was a stay at home mom for a long time. And I would see, you know, everything I needed to see. 
everyone else would see little clips of it. You know what I mean? They would have her for a little while in school. They would have her for a little while in daycare. They would have her for a little while in the playground, things like that. So you don't really get the full effect. Um, and then over the last two years, I diagnosed her with what I call pandemic um, depression, um, pandemic anxiety, pandemic, you know, whatever was related to um, the pandemic. And that was in addition to whatever she was going through. Um, you know, her age was, I guess, 16 when everything started. And so, you know, hormones and, and all the, you know, everything that was happening in the world. So I really never got to find out what was, she, again, she was never diagnosed. I never got to find out what was really going on with her. So um, it makes me sad because <clears throat> I think that for her specifically, she had very subtle signs. Um, Again, that you wouldn't see, you know, in a few in a in a brief encounter. Um, these were things that only I would know about. Um, conversations that she and I had privately, you know, things that I would, you know, know that no one no one else would, and very hard to tell anyone for different reasons. Hard to describe and then hard to share because maybe it's embarrassing or maybe it's you know what they used to call you know airing your dirty laundry things like that. So um, I was really careful about how I presented myself and my daughter and being a, you know, a fairly single mom <laughs> without much support, I couldn't say I'm failing my daughter. You know what I mean? Like that's really ultimately what it felt like I was saying if I said she has these problems. So I don't know if that answered the question. <laughs> it did. And it really gives us a, some insight into what it's like to be a mom whose kid is really struggling, right? That's really difficult, and I'm really, um, I'm really sorry that you had to experience that, and I'm really sorry that your daughter had to experience what she had to experience also. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that, and and still is experiencing. Just you right. know, um, I think if I could just add, um, the fact that she's 18 now means. I'm doing air quotes, you can't see me, but I'm doing air quotes. Um, she, she no longer needs help because she's an adult. And, and that makes me even sadder because again, pandemic rules changed everything. Um, I don't feel that she matured emotionally or um, uh, in any way, really. Um, in the last two years, I feel like she was stunted. She and her friends, and I can only speak about her right now. Um, but her, her peers. So to not have been diagnosed already and then to have what additional problems she's having now um, and to have it so dismissed and to have, you know, to not have the support, we still don't have the support in place for her or for anyone else. And, and that's what makes me sad because we're going to let these adults move forward in life and just kind of blend in with the rest of the mess and, and still not get to the root of it. Yeah, absolutely. It's the, the pandemic has pretty much changed the whole world. Right. And, and the way that mental health is, is viewed and treated and all of it, the pandemic, I mean, on top of everything else that has changed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, kind of what you said made me a little curious there you said that they're not really given like the time of day not the chance to like really be understood um you know what what have your in your daughter's experiences been um with other people like teachers and other people that are supposed to be you know um like providing guidance and mentorship and education to your daughter? Like, what has that been like in regards to her mental health? I'm so glad you asked that. <laughs> um, again, the, the responses are fairly dismissive. It's, it's, it's been, it's been me advocating for her. And um, I don't know all the rules and laws yet, but from what I'm understanding under the old act, the, um, the minor under the age of 18 is um, needs to consent to treatment. Um, there is a new a new act. Excuse me, I don't know if you're aware. Um, it's Act 65, Gabby's Law, <clears throat> which kind of changes things a little bit. And that was, I think, put into place um, only in 2020. So it was in 2020 that I was actively pursuing her um, her mental health care, and I was getting pretty much across the board dismissed because of the old act. No one seemed to be aware of the new act, um, and I wasn't either, to be honest. So I didn't know my rights as a parent, and um, my daughter did not disclose what was going on. She was not um, open to treatment. She was not open to discussion. She was not letting anyone know that something was wrong. Um, 
outside of me. So I would see all the behind the scenes and I'm frantically, you know, trying to get her help. And they're saying, no, she's fine. Because if you did ask her, you know, how are you? She's fine. You know? <laughs> and that was pretty yeah. much her standard answer. Um, so it spiraled and it got worse. And I won't tell you that um, unless you want to know, but I am, again, I'm just really scared um, because I know it can get worse still. So, you know, the feeling of being dismissed, I think, is the worst part, whether it's coming um, from the parent or the child, um, even with the children. I don't know that they're addressing them or taking them seriously anymore, because a lot of them are kind of overusing or abusing um, words like um, uh, mental health and depression and anxiety and things like that. And some of them use it you know, in a trending way. And there's really no way to know the difference. So I feel like the system as a whole, they're overwhelmed and understaffed. So they cannot sit down and have that one-on-one -on -one with these kids and really get to know what's really going on. No one has time for that. There's just not enough people to have those conversations. Yeah, absolutely. That's such a good point. And I think Chris and I have, have seen that across the board, especially as the pandemic happened. Um, and like we just, everything just kind of exploded and everybody was like, dealing with like I like how you put it pandemic depression and pandemic anxiety right they didn't know what any of that was and if they did know what it was it didn't apply to them um and now yeah. all of a sudden it applies to a large number of people who thought that way absolutely we, yeah we don't even know yet how it's really affecting us we're in it now it's still current and so we won't see the results of any of this you know and, and so we see the reports that come out way, way later when it's already too late because it's already escalated to a place of no return, potentially. I mean, that's, you know, it, it's very individual, obviously. Um, but I'll give you a quick thing on um, crisis hotlines. You know, I reached out to crisis hotlines because the waiting lists were so severe um, for regular mental health um, organizations that <laughs> sometimes you feel like you're in crisis. Just the reaching out part alone is already intense for somebody that's really struggling. And then the waiting list to know that you're on a waiting list um, without really an end time or, or a deadline, you know, they, they couldn't answer that. They were overwhelmed and understaffed, as I said. Um, so I reached out to crisis quite a few times, to be honest with you. Um, and I've been hung up on, I've put on, I've been put on hold, um, I've been put on a wait list and I've been talked to um, by some what I call unprofessional folks. So I don't know if they were scrambling to get those seats filled and those phones answered, but I've not gotten, um, you know, the most, the best treatment, uh, you know, uh, making that call to crisis. And that in itself is scary because someone in true crisis may not have survived that um, response. Absolutely. That's terrifying. I'm so sorry that happened to you. Thank you. Can I ask, and I'm not trying to, to, to point fingers, but I'm just curious, was that the national crisis number that you called or your county crisis number? That's a good question. Um, I don't remember specifically which one. I think I tried both. Okay. Uh, I just don't remember which one responded in what way at this point. And as I said, it, it was, I wasn't a mini crisis and I really didn't take note of, I just needed the right response. And I, I all I knew was I, I wasn't getting it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've heard of that happening. Um, it was very surprising to me too, when I started hearing about it, uh, cause you assume that these things just work, right? Like people call in, there's someone there to receive you and support you um, because that's the whole point of it. But uh, talking to folks around the state, you know, it again can be very county based. There are some counties, like all counties are required to have um, a crisis line in place, but some of them are understaffed. Some of them um, just forward your call to the national suicide hotline, uh, which I think is absolutely wild. Um, but it's, it's, it's rough out there right now with that. Um, and so, yeah, I'm with, I'm with Tristan there. I'm sad to hear that that's happened to you and been your experience too. Yeah, thank you. It's really scary. And, and that's why I'm so passionate about this because I consider myself a very high functioning person <laughs> um, considering what's been going on with me personally and what's been going on in the world. And for those that are truly, truly struggling, I just, I can't even imagine what that looks like. It's just really unfair um, what the system puts you through. Um, and I think one of the first ways of, of, of attacking this is in the school <clears throat> and 
um, just having this trauma-informed care training across the board. I mean, this should go to the public, not just professional agencies. Um, and I've also noticed, I've been behind the scenes in, in, in a few of these trainings, and I've also noticed that a training is just a training and nothing more. Um, a lot of these agencies have a mission statement and no mission. And that's what scares me. And I'm saying that because like I said, I've been behind the scenes on that. And so that <laughs> that's not okay, again, for a person in need. It's just not, it's not gonna help them. Yeah, and you know, as an advocacy organization, uh, PMHCA and Youth Move PA, we see that a lot too. Um, and it's one of the conversations that we have quite often is that it's, it can be frustrating to see um, the agencies and organizations call uh, do what we call checking a box. Um, it's not it's not actually helping anybody whenever that's going on. Um, and we definitely want to see people act with more intention. So you said something curious to me that I want to ask you a, a little more of a question about because um, it was just it resonated with me so much. And that was about how you said that, you know, trauma informed care. Um, and I'm just going to take it a step further, children's mental health and mental health in general um, being talked about, not just in organizations or systems, um, but to the public. Uh, if, if that information could get out there, like, how would you like that to be done? Like, what is your ideal vision for something like that? Um, I haven't really uh, decided how that would look because I feel like it would look different for different neighborhoods, different cultures, different age groups and so forth. Um, sure. I did recently see that there was a presentation. I think it was a doctor from CHOP who came out and spoke to kids in a, you know, in, in a setting. I don't know what setting that was, um, but I do believe it should be mandatory. First of all, I think it should come into every classroom at least once, if not in a series. Um, <clears throat> I don't think once will, will be sufficient, but it definitely needs to come in a series and there needs to, you need to hand them tools. Having the conversation, it just, it's not enough. You, you need to hand them actual tools. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, hand them to the adults. Again, if the adults are not okay, the kids are not okay. And this is what I said earlier in the conversation, this is a cycle. And, and, I, and I saw this again, personally firsthand. And so these kids, um, kids, what's the definition of kids? So zero to 18. Um, none of them in any of those age groups, I can't say none of them, but most of them in any of those age groups are going to be able to explain to you what's really going on. They're not going to be able to articulate it. They don't understand themselves most of the time. And so they need us, um, the adults, the professionals, the advocates, you know, they need us to, uh, you know, to talk for them. And so if we could introduce trauma-informed care to everybody in some setting, any setting, I'll take it any way I can get it at this point. <laughs> um, I think that would be a first step. That sounds like a phenomenal first step. I really wish that we could um, just take that and, and slap it on the state's table and be like, here, <laughs> this is what needs to happen, right? Yes. So I'm wondering, I feel like I know the answer, but I just want to clarify, has your daughter actually received any services um, ever? Ever. Um, yes, ever being a very short period of time. And um, it was called at the time, I'm not sure if you're, uh, excuse me, I don't know if you're familiar with MST. Um, MST, I believe, is multisystemic therapy. Okay. Um, oh. If I'm saying that right, I might be wrong. Um, but it is a parent based um, uh, therapy, therapeutic environment. So <laughs> that's not fair to the child. Um, because what that does is set up a situation where your mom or your parents or your guardians or whomever is participating, they need help. <laughs> so the kids mm -hmm. are not really fully being addressed. This again happened um, during a time where we still said that kids need to consent. And so in my personal life that my, my daughter said, I don't need any help. My mom is crazy. Talk to her and tell her to fix herself and everybody will live happily ever after. So being that it's um, this particular therapy was um, uh, parent-based, it didn't quite work out the way I hoped. But as far as individual therapy, no, I can't say that she's ever received individual therapy, no. Okay, okay. Um, so I'm just, I'm just wondering, like, you, it seems like you and your daughter have had quite a long, um, sometimes difficult journey to get to where you are, right? 
Um, so how has that influenced your relationship with her? So I don't know if you want this on or off the record. I'm okay with it either way. Um, (laughs) just to, you know, give you a heads up if you want to hit pause. Um, totally up to you, honestly, but my daughter ran away when she was 16 and she's been gone ever since. And as I mentioned, she's 18 now. So I don't know if that answers the question or not, but basically, um, because I pushed, I pushed for her care and was rejected over and over again, it has destroyed our relationship. And also, um, it's my strong belief that it has contributed negatively to her existing mental health issues. I'm so sorry to hear that. Thank you. Um, yeah. So I, uh, I had a, I could just relate to this a little bit. Um, and I, in retrospect, I, I see the effect that it had on my mom, um, which I, I, when I think about it, I do feel bad for, cause she was always in my corner, even if we butted heads sometimes. Um, but there was a period of time where, you know, I left home too. And, um, that drastically impacted our relationship and my mental health. And I know her mental health as well. Um, so I can, I think I can understand a little bit of what you must've gone through there and your daughter. Yeah, I appreciate that. It's a really hard thing to explain only because there's so many moving parts and, and so much of, you know, so many layers and so much of the story that you know, you can't possibly know in a, in a, in a quick conversation um, or even a long conversation. But um, mm-hmm. my main concern was always her. And again, you can keep this on the record or off, but there was a point where I reported myself to Childline um, for neglect. And I said to them, I said, I'm willing, um, I'm willing for you to come and get me. take me away, lock me up, do whatever you have to do, as long as you get her off the street. And as long as you get her the Mm -hmm. care that she needs. So they, (laughs) they didn't respond to that. Um, I I should say there was no follow-up to that. No one came to get me. No one came to investigate. No one came to do a report. And that was at a point of desperation. That was me just kind of trying to think outside the box because no other agencies were really responding to my cries for help. And I tried to consider, again, pandemic and understaffed. And you know, I tried to consider everything. But in the meantime, my daughter was my concern, my priority. And so now she's out there. And whatever happened while she was out there, it's just, again, a cycle. So that may or may not leak onto her children or her friends or her other family members, et cetera. So this is just this big ball and no one's really getting it to me reminds me of um, if you ever try to untangle like Christmas lights <laughs> mm-hmm. and you can't really get to, you know, where it starts and where it ends. And it's just big mess. And uh, we need somebody with the patience and the know-how to sit down and untangle it. That's a really good analogy. Um, and I, I appreciate analogies. So thank you very much. Um, and I, all the time. I, yeah, we do. Um, but I really, I really just want to say like, you are such a, a warrior for being there for your daughter through all of this. And still, even after all this time, you're still there and you're still trying so hard. You are an amazing mom. And, um, I, I recognize that in you, even though I can't even see your face, just, it, just by the way you're talking, it sounds like you love your daughter so much. Um, Thank you. I appreciate that. And I I really did want to, you know, this would have been better if it was, if I could, I was just not prepared. I'm so sorry. (laughs) That's my fault. Um, Don't worry about a thing. um, So I'm just wondering now, like, so, you know, you mentioned earlier that um, mental health was something that isn't or wasn't really talked about uh, while you were growing up. And as you were growing up, I'm sure that that had some kind of an impact on your, on your mental health, right? That we just didn't talk about it or think about it or acknowledge it. And now um, you're here and your daughter has gone through mental health difficulties. And I'm wondering like, other than yourself, who else maybe has impacted her in kind of like either a good way or a bad way? That's another great question. And um I also love analogies and a quick analogy that's sort of kind of related to what you're asking is I immediately saw a cavity, you know, you have a cavity and you don't treat it and it might get bigger. You might lose your tooth. You might lose the rest of your teeth, you know, the pain. There's so many things that happens um, 
that developed from just having this tiny little cavity, you know, and that started with a tiny little sip of soda or a little bite of candy or whatever nonsense that you didn't really, you know, think too much about. So yes, I, I was impacted in a way that was for me, I don't know how I function, to be honest with you, because as I said, you know, this started when I was very young and never having addressed it in, in, in the right way has contributed to my life, my parenting, my thinking style, my mindset, my overall being. And so I did my best to ensure that my daughter um, avoided that and, and survived it, not just survived, but thrived. And so I, I wanted to make sure that she had everything she needed. And so I gave her every opportunity to have access to all types of people. Um, and she being an, extra, uh, an extrovert, me being an introvert, I felt that that would be helpful in a way where she um, wouldn't shy away from these conversations. And I gave her access to people that could talk about whatever she wanted to talk about um, in, a, in a safe setting. So we don't have to sit down and be very somber and say, I'm very depressed and I want to cut myself, but we could talk about whatever and, you know, in, in the right atmosphere, uncover some of the underlying issues. So, and, and I may have gone off your question, um, like way off. Can you repeat it for me? I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. So I was just wondering, like, other than yourself and, and your experiences, have, have you had any thoughts on like other people who maybe have influenced your daughter? Um, like I said, positively or negatively in her mental health? Influence, influence positive or negative. And, and that's right. Yeah, that's where I was trying to go by, um, by describing how I tried to expose her to people. I would say that um, whatever positive or negative influences that existed in her real world were overshadowed, overpowered by social media and peer mm. um, pressure. And I saw that happening because her real world, we had a pretty solid environment as far as what she was exposed to in a negative way. We, we, did, we weren't exposed to drugs and alcohol and some crazy things that a lot of kids are exposed to in their real world. So I think that she started to see other worlds, so many other worlds at once. Um, they're, you know, young people are very, very exposed, overexposed to, you know, so many things. And I think that it was 90% of the outside influence that um, triggered her whatever underlying issues there were or would have been. I don't know if that answers your question either. <laughs> it totally does, I think. What do you think, Chris? Absolutely, it does. Um, it made me think uh, back to, you know, my growing up, because I grew up in a generation of like being in between like the information age and the the time where like everybody still played outside all the time, right? Um, so my mom was always telling me to go outside and do stuff, but at the same time, all I wanted to do was hang out and like talk to my friends on MySpace and like text them and um, and then Facebook turned into a thing and, you know, social media blew up. Um, so but one of the things that I experienced is very much like what you're talking about, where just this exposure to so much more than your initial community, which that's all it was before, right? Like you would get maybe what's on TV and like the newspapers and stuff or radio. And then that was your sphere of influence. But now like you're hearing about stuff that's going on in other countries. You're hearing about things that are going on in communities that you have never been to or may never uh, be a part of, but because everything's interconnected online now and kids being so just engrossed in it, um, that becomes a part of their culture really early on. And what I experienced of feeling guilt for things I couldn't influence or stress for things uh, or people that um, I couldn't influence, um, I know that young people today, that is absolutely just magnified um, because that's their world now. And and how can and you don't really turn it off, you know, like it's always there and they're always seeing it and, and experiencing it. And I imagine that that's got to be very stressful and that would totally impact their mental health. Absolutely. Yeah. It literally never turns off. They don't go to sleep. Um, and my generation and yours slightly different, but even yours, I don't think it reminds me of a roller coaster. You know, when it starts to go up, um, it begins that, um, I guess, incline and then it goes up kind of slow and it kind of hits that, that peak at the top and then it, shoop, and it, you know, flies down. Um, and I think this general, my daughter's generation and, and beyond, they just flew down that, you know, that hill or, or 
however we want to uh, refer to it as. But yeah, it never turns off. And, and I would see it and I would see this reaction. It was literally like watching somebody withdraw from a drug um, mm-hmm. when I still had some control over her schedule and, you know, her her life in that way. Um, you know, I would ask for the phone to, to go off at a certain time and she would flip out. Um, and I've seen many stories like this. Um, there was a story some years back where the, the young person called the police because her dad took her phone and she was really like, um, it wasn't, uh, she was upset that someone took something that was hers. It was upset because she was, there was this desperation about needing her phone. And so if you take the phone or if you shut it down and they don't realize how addictive it is and how addicted they are to it. And they glance at it so often. And if you look at the screen time, um, even for me, you know, I consider myself, self, you know, with self-control and I'm an adult and all that good stuff. And I look at the screen time, I'm like, no way. There's no way that five hours just went by and all I did was look at TikTok for a minute, you yeah. know. <laughs> There's no way. The word. Yeah, exactly. And that's and the thing. There's so many options now. It's amazing. It really is. And you brought up a good point, maybe, and you didn't even mean to, but kids their brains are not developed in a way that social media is actually a good thing for them. Like us, you older folks, anybody old over the age of like 30 ish is really able to say, Oh no, I got to put this down. Um, I need to do this, or I got to put this down. I've been on it too long or understand like at least what happens to you as you continue to scroll TikTok for five hours. Right. Yes kids aren't able to do that. They don't have the brain capacity to even do that. And they don't even have the brain capacity to know that they don't have the brain capacity, if you know what I'm saying. Exactly. So it it's really like, um, I can remember when I was a kid, my mom would always check my Facebook and my texts and all that stuff um, mm-hmm. to make sure I wasn't doing anything bad. And it got to the point where I made another Facebook um, <laughs> that she didn't know about. Um, and then eventually somehow or another, she found out about it, but like the obsession was so real then. And I can only imagine like what it would be like to be a kid now and have all this like information coming at you from all different angles, like Chris mentioned from different countries and cultures and places and people that you never know in real life. And it's just like information overload. Right. And also, I think the other thing that really gets me is like when you're talking social media, like the influencers and a lot of the times they're not influencing in a very good way. Mm. Some people do, and I will give them credit. Absolutely. But some people don't. And that's got to be really difficult as a young person to navigate and understand that that's not real life. Um, Mm -hmm. So I feel, I feel you really hard on that, Maya, because it's really difficult um, to just exist in this world as a kid, I think. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. We, we, they don't have that, that turn off button. Um, and not only the information is coming fast and hard from every country and every walk of life, but within each video, mm-hmm. there's like this time warp or there's time lapse video, these, these time lapse videos that just have all this information just kind of coming at you. Um, and I don't know why there isn't like a warning on there that says this may cause seizures because sometimes it's just so, you know, there's lights and there's flashing things. And so, and then depending on the age of the kids, so I'm not even thinking about the younger kids right now, only because of my daughter's age. But if I had young kids, I would be terrified of the information overload because the older ones are not even processing and yeah, they're not, they're nowhere near, um, mature enough or capable enough. Like you said, they, they don't even know that they don't know, um, how to control it. So even if you're not actively looking at your screen, you're waiting for a text, you're waiting for a phone call, you're waiting for a new video, or you're listening to a podcast, even if you're not, you know, there's no um, video on, there's still an audio and still information is just flying at you. And it's, it's insane. And that's why I described it as a roller coaster, because you just come flying down this roller coaster of information, and it's terrifying. And just to add to, you know, the, um, the monitoring, you know, there's parental guidance and all that good stuff, but they know how to get around it. Um, the older mm-hmm. ones are showing the younger, the younger ones how to get around. It. And then I just found out there's all these dummy apps. So it looks like a McDonald's icon, but behind there, there's, you know, like 
a trafficking website or, you know, some other creepy stuff that we don't know anything about. And you would literally have to go through each and every, and you can't, no parent can do that. No one can do this. You cannot monitor anybody's um, anything in that way. Um, it's frustrating for both parties. Um, but that's what scares me also is these dummy apps. And so you may come across it accidentally. An older sibling may expose a younger sibling. You know, this can explode into, you know, many bits in many ways at any time. It's terrifying. <laughs> it so is terrifying. And, you know, the other thing is they're so smart, right? Like kids are so freaking smart. And like my daughter's 17 months old. And if I give her my phone to like watch YouTube for five minutes while I'm on a meeting and an ad comes on, she's like patting me. Hey, hey, this isn't my show. Like fix it. You know what I mean? She can't even talk, but she knows that there's something wrong and mom needs to fix it. Right. The other thing is like I have the fingerprint sensor. And she will play with it and play with it. And like, she knows that that's what turns the phone on. She knows that she does knows that she can't do it, but she still is like all over it. And it's just amazing to me how smart they can be with technology. And I can't even figure half of it out, you know? Yes. That's the other thing that's, that's scary is that the the younger they are, the more they seem to know, or the the more they seem to figure out how to get around us. So Mm -hmm. me being older than you doesn't mean anything because you still have somebody younger than you (laughs) that can, you know, figure things out better than you can and so on. And that's, oh my gosh, we call them, well, I don't know if I don't, pandemic babies. I've heard this term. And so that's my kid. Yeah. (laughs) Somehow they, they seem to be born smart, like smarter than any generation before them. And that's just incredible. And good luck, by the way. <laughs> well, thanks. I, I definitely <laughs> clearly am going to need it. Uh, <laughs> so I, I just wanted to say um, you have some some amazing insights and we're so grateful that you're here with us. I'm wondering one last thing. And now you sort of talked about it um, a little bit, but I'm wondering if you could expand a little more. And that is like, if you could change the the mental health system, even though you said maybe you weren't super huge part of it, but if you could change some things, what would your like ideal realistic mental health system look like? Something that's accessible, you know, whatever, whatever you think would be the best way to go. I'm just kind of interested in what you think. Yeah, so it, it's really hard for me to sum it up because again, this is something that I'm really passionate about. I have so many different ideas about it. I, you know, I've been on the side of things where it just didn't work out for me, and I'm sure for some it did work out, and so good for them. Maybe we need to, you know, borrow their notes. <laughs> um, but from where I sit, we really need to create um, more individual groups. So we need to maybe allow, um, you know, professionals to come into school and talk to. The classrooms, as I mentioned earlier, um, but you know, consultants that can go to each and every agency and just talk to each and every agency in a very small setting. I don't believe that the um, big seminars are as effective. I think you get lost in the sauce in there, and you're not really focused on what's being said. And then there's just this long speech that goes on forever, and you're like, okay, like you said, checking boxes. We check our boxes. We were um, required to go to this meeting. Yay, we did it. You know, we had some donuts and coffee in the morning. You know. Um, but if we could do these one-on-one things and, and have someone with lived experience um, talk, you know, let us tell you um, what's really happening back here and how it feels and explain to you the steps that we went through and then work together to figure out how to go about that. Um, I do believe that a patient should be automatically assigned an advocate um, through their insurance companies. I think that mental or physical health can be very overwhelming and your very first call I'm telling you now as I'm talking about it I'm feeling anxiety and I have nothing going on right now you know just the idea of making that call is very overwhelming will they understand me will they respond the way I want them to um I made a call to my insurance and and they (laughs) I was asking for um psychologists specifically um can they give me um some psychologists to to call they gave me three different numbers. I confirmed these are psychologists. They said, yes, I called each one. None of them were psychologists or were ever. Um, it was just this random office one I think was a foot doctor, like really random phone numbers. <laughs> so yeah, their systems are not updated in any way. So that's why I'm saying maybe an advocate or somebody that will actually listen and not just look at their screen or check their boxes off and really like screen 
who they are um, working with because it's, you know, we're patients, we need help. That isn't that part of the definition of being a patient. We need help in some kind of way. Um, and so yes. if you want to get that help, we're pretty much on our own. We're just, you know, we're Googling things and we're making these blind calls to other people, other humans that really don't necessarily have the right training. So I don't know if that answered your question either. Yeah, <laughs> I get yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, no, don't apologize. You are on target. Um, I, I really wish that we, I wish that like the powers that be were listening in on these podcasts because everybody so far has had some really amazing input on how to actually make a system that works um, and that helps people much better than what exists now. Yes. Are you telling me that the powers that be are not listening to our podcast? I don't know. Better. <laughs> we'll see about that. <laughs> Right. <laughs> they should listen because like I said, everybody on here is on point in making some huge changes that would actually help people. Right. Yeah. I mean, we should definitely, I, we, I, I feel like I'm part of you, but <laughs> um, you guys that are really for the people, because it sounds like you're, you're just human beings, you know, you're not just doing this for fun. I don't think um, this is serious for you. And so um, people like you, can you not, or are you able to put this out there and put this in the right hands? Is this not something that can go to the powers that be? So I would say the answer is yes, we can. Um, it just might take a few tries to figure out the, the avenue that works because um, it's not the easiest. And this sounds excusey, but it's really not. Um, it's not always the easiest thing to do to get um the powers that be who have like exceptionally busy schedules to, to hear little tiny youth move PA, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, we don't, we don't pay their salaries. Um, so oftentimes that's kind of pushed to the side. Like you experienced, you know, with your, um, your, yours and your daughter's mental health experience. Um, sometimes we're in the same boat. That makes me sad because yeah. I would always say I'm just an army of one. No one's going to ever listen to me, but you actually have like a, a title and a, an organization, you know, and so if you can't do it, then who can? Um, but I would say, you know, keep going, keep doing what you're doing and, and knock on those doors. They do listen. Some of them do. I mean, just a private share. I did have a conversation with Senator Kearney and I was able to meet him face to face and have a similar conversation and talk to him about what was going on at the end of it and maybe i shouldn't drop names here maybe you can edit this part out but at the end of it he said that there was nothing we can do and in hindsight i was thinking that's unacceptable of course there's something we can do you have to want to first of all um and as a senator or a politician um you have the power to sign a piece of paper that allows you to do something else because what exists isn't working yeah absolutely so one thing i will say is it i'm sorry chris go ahead oh no, I was just going to say that, you know, the word can't, I don't think is ever in our vocabulary, it, difficult, challenging barriers to overcome. Sure. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. you know, we're always trying, we're always doing our best. Um, so there's always hope, you know what I mean? We can reach the people that we need to one way or another, if it takes some time. The other thing that I think is important to note, Maya, is you said, you said um, you're just an army of one um, and you, if we can't do it, like as youth move or whatever, as some organization, then who can? And I think if all the armies of one could just combine, the effort is made and it's huge and it's powerful and stuff will get done. So it might feel like yeah. you're an army of one, but really you're not. You and me and Chris and everybody out there in organizations like ours and and professionals who want things to be different, um, we're all working towards the same goal. So it just takes some time. Yeah, I wish it would take less time. <laughs> I'm kind of in a rush. <laughs> <laughs> we're yeah. in the same boat, <laughs> I tell you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, I don't know that I have any other questions or thoughts. Chris or Maya, do you guys have any other thoughts or questions? So uh, I don't have any other questions, uh, but I do want to share this thought um, that Maya, the, your, this conversation with you has reminded me so much of my own lived experience, um, but growing up with my mom, who was my strongest advocate, um, and just going through all the challenges and the hurdles that we went through in 
mental health systems, um, but also outside of them. Um, so many of your sto- pieces of your story, uh, such as not being given the time of day or, um, you know, being taken seriously um, when we're talking about behavioral issues and mental health uh, concerns and things like that, um, as you put it, I think that uh, it's this, this is stuff that I went through. Um, I'm 30 now. Uh, so, you know, I was diagnosed when I was five. Um, so let's say it started 25 years ago and here we are. And, and some of this stuff is still going on. Um, that's still wild to me. Um, I, I often, I'm a positive person. So I like to mark, you know, uh, the positive changes and the, the good progress that we've made, but clearly we still have more to make. Um, and your story makes that crystal clear. So I just want to say thank you very much for joining us today and, and sharing that experience with us and all of our listeners. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. And, and thanks for doing whatever you do because every little, every little bit of it counts and, and helps. And I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Um, so before we go, I just want to have like a little, I don't know what you'd call it. I guess like a moment to just sit and think about like, kind of like send Maya's daughter some really good thoughts and vibes because we're thinking about her and we um, understand that life is hard, um, but we really just want to keep her in our thoughts. So if you guys are religious or spiritual in any way, or just want to sit and send some vibes, that's cool. Um, So I just want to give a brief minute to kind of do that. Thank you. And with that, um, thank you again, Maya. We really appreciate you being on um, and being super honest and, and truthful and open with us. That's all we ever ask on podcasts and different things. So you did a fantastic job and we were so grateful to have you. Um, my last statement is always the same. So anybody who's listening, um, and us here, I want you to be alive today and I want you to be alive tomorrow. So thank you so much for listening. Chris, Maya, any last words? Yeah, I want to say, uh, thank you all for listening. Um, if you're youth, if you're a parent, if you're someone out there who's just doing their best, I want you to know, I believe in you. Keep your head up and your heart strong. Maya, any last words before we jump off? Yeah, I just want to say thanks again to you guys for what you're doing and and your audience for listening to you, whoever that is, just as crazy as we are. And I love them for (laughs) it. Um, This is really an intense topic. So to listen to this and, um, you know, understand anything that we're discussing is, is, is powerful. And so for anybody that is struggling, keep reaching out. And I hate to ask them to do that because it's so hard to do that, but keep reaching out. Even when people hang up on you and even when you don't get the response that you want, you have to keep reaching out. Don't give up because that's, that was always a thought for me. Like I got to give up. This is too hard. Just don't give up. Don't give up because, because you matter. So that's my last thought. Well, thank you so much. And everybody have a wonderful rest of your day. You too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Our Story Isn't Over. Um, We hope that you're all having a wonderful day.